0: Amen. John chapter 3, this morning starting at verse 1. John 3 starting at verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi or master or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst or cannot tell whence it cometh or what's its source and how it operates and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Amen. I want to preach a very simple message this morning, simply titled, Have You Received the Holy Ghost Since You Believed? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We feel Your anointing in this place. Lord, as we've worshipped You, Your Spirit has been moving upon us and in us and through us, Lord. And You have a plan for us today, Lord God. It is Your will, Lord, that we would be vessels full of Your Spirit. And so, Lord, as we preach your word today lord may faith be stirred may it be ignited may it be kindled lord jesus we pray that we would allow you to do that which you do lord jesus anoint me i pray in jesus name amen amen scriptures teach us that we are body soul and spirit we are not simply physical creatures Contrary to a lot of modern opinion, we are not animals. Even though there may be some biological similarities between us and the animal kingdom, mankind is created in the image of God. And all of the wonder of creation, in all of God's magnificent demonstration of His power and His creativity, only man was breathed into by God, became a living soul, became a being which had spiritual life. And if you are any student of the Word of God, you know that sin broke that connection. It caused spiritual death to be our default setting. It left us in a place where that original design for relationship between God and man was nothing like it was meant to be. In many ways, to try to paint a picture that we can relate to, it's almost as if We are driving on the freeway on one side of the road in one particular direction knowing that we should be on the other side. We know that we're going the wrong way but it doesn't seem as though there's an avenue whereby we can cross over to the right side of the road and go in the right direction if you've ever been particularly in a place that you're not familiar with and you're on a freeway and you suddenly realize I'm going the wrong way. You can't just hook the wheel and go over that middle bit and get into the other side. I've seen many bogged cars that have tried to do that. But there is usually a barrier. There are things that prevent us from being able to just drive across and we are somehow parallel, but we are going in opposite directions. When Jesus met discreetly with Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee that acknowledged that Jesus had in fact come from God. And that God was with him. He was sort of there, but he hadn't gone all the way yet. Because there were miracles that were happening at the hands of Jesus. And Nicodemus was honest enough to admit that this was without a doubt supernatural. That God was involved. He wasn't using deception. It wasn't smoke and mirrors or fancy tricks of illusion. But the miraculous power of God was being demonstrated through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Nicodemus realized that it would be foolish to deny that. We are often critical in hindsight of Nicodemus because he met with Jesus after dark, possibly because he was concerned for his own reputation. We're often critical as well because he seemed to struggle to accept who Jesus was and what he was saying. But I believe that there was enough faith stirring in Nicodemus That Jesus got straight to the point and he said, You must be born again. And this was the first time that Jesus, or anyone else for that matter, had ever used that expression. It's thrown around a lot throughout church history, but this was the first time. And it was a challenging concept to this highly educated religious scholar. And he asked the question, How can these things be? as he tried to grasp what Jesus was saying the Lord began to push him a little further, even reaching back to an example of Moses from the Old Testament, something that Nicodemus was very clearly familiar with, and he connected what happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness with what was happening in the New Testament. And there's not a whole lot of detail in the New Testament about Nicodemus, but the last time that we hear about him in the Gospels, he is helping Joseph of Arimathea prepare the body of the Lord for burial. And uh, it, the one who first came to Jesus under the cover of darkness is now willing to be connected with Christ's death publicly, even though he still had so many things he was yet to understand, so many things that he couldn't work out in his own mind. And I want to tell somebody this morning, you're never going to work God out in your own mind. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to understand His Word. He wants us to rightly divide His Word, but to suggest that we can contain a complete and total knowledge of God is, is really offensive. It's as, it's as rude as to suggest that you can go down to the ocean with a bucket and say, I have all of the ocean in my bucket. It's that level of ignorance. And I have absolutely no Bible whatsoever to support this statement. So you are able to dismiss it as much as you like. It is simply my opinion. But I believe from the glimpses that were given of Nicodemus that somewhere amongst the 120 souls in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, there was an old Pharisee named Nicodemus because the carpenter's son had told him, you must be born again. You must be born again. He had enough faith that he wanted to be involved in honoring the body of this preacher from Nazareth. And in that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said in verse 6 of John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Our sinful condition is a product of being born after the flesh with a sinful nature. It is a pre-existing tendency towards sin that resides within every single one of us. And we nod and we say, yes, that's right. But we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. And, you know, we don't all have the, the, uh, the top 10 hits of sin. We're not all murderers. We're not all bank robbers. We're, we're not all violent criminals or people that have done things that we don't even like to speak about. And so subconsciously, we sort of put ourselves in a slightly less offensive category. But the reality is in that category are the more dangerous sins of pride and self-reliance and of believing that I can take care of this on my own because it does not matter if you were somebody who's a hall of fame sinner or you were somebody who the world thinks is a good person your need for salvation is just as desperate <clears throat> and the truth of the matter is those that think they're not as desperately in need of it are more dangerously deceived than the most wicked of sinners if you understand how I use that expression Amen. The things that are born of the Spirit are the opposite of all those things. They are holy. They are pleasing to God. They bring spiritual life. They are the two sides of that freeway. If you will allow me that comparison, they are going in opposite directions. They are separated one from another. And last Sunday morning, we ministered about who is Jesus Christ and why does it matter? And it matters because the Bible says that from the very beginning, God had a plan for salvation. He had a plan that was somehow going to get those two sides of that separated freeway to be able to come in contact one with another. And in His perfect timing, He demonstrated that plan. And His plan is described to us in John 1 and 14, where it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the spirit of god when you understand who jesus christ really is the spirit of god was manifest in the humanity of jesus christ and in that miraculous occurrence somehow it was as if he crossed the freeway from one side to the other From that which is born of the Spirit, he crossed over to where we are that were born of the flesh. But the difference is, the crazy thing is, he wasn't going the same way. He was going in the opposite way of the traffic in the human lane. He was going against the traffic. And if you've ever been in a freeway where a car's going the wrong way, he caused all kinds of chaos. He turned the world upside down. He interrupted the peak hour traffic, if I can use that example in such a powerful way that we still feel it today. Amen. I was in Pakistan in 2017, one of the busiest roads I've ever seen in my life, all going in one direction and coming the other way. In the middle of I don't know how many lanes was a donkey cart, just making its way in the complete opposite direction and the chaos that that was causing and the attention that it was getting that person who just pretended everything was fine, didn't make eye contact with anybody, they just wreaked havoc in the traffic. When he was manifest in the flesh, he was like nobody else. He came to be like us. He came to experience what we experience, yet without sin. And so he was able to walk in the midst of humanity that was going the wrong way and continue to walk the right way and said, there is another way. He said, I am that way. I am the truth and I am the life. Amen. The Word of God. The plan of God was expressed into our world. And he sat with Nicodemus and told him that he must be born again. He became the door. He opened the door so that those who had been born after the flesh, which is you and I, could also be born after the Spirit. Amen. We cannot today sit at a kitchen table with Jesus like Nicodemus did. We were not there when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. I was not present, you were not present on the shore of Galilee when he cooked fish and bread on the coals and ate with those disciples together. But the words that he spoke to Nicodemus still ring true today. You must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Not the water or the Spirit, but the water and the Spirit. You must be born again. Amen. The word made flesh provided the door. He is the door. He said he was the door. The inspired God-breathed word of God gives us access to the door. Amen. It is this book where we find a way to find that door and find a way into that door and get through that door into the kingdom of heaven. How do we find that? Romans chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. Paul said, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. You need to understand what he was saying. He knew what Rome was like. He knew the culture. He knew the danger. He knew the, the risk to his very life if he went there. But he said, I am ready to preach the gospel. He said, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believer, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. With the same passion, he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, and he said, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It is the gospel message. It is the message that God was manifest in the flesh that he died upon a cross, that he rose again the third day. It is the preaching of that message that points you to that door. It is that message that opens the door. Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, after Peter has the revelation of who Jesus is, Jesus tells him that he will give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's why there is this crazy idea out there that Peter is this big old man with a long white beard standing at the gates of heaven with a huge set of rusty keys measuring and examining every soul that arrives and determining whether they can come in or he's going to reject their application. It's like an eternal G2G pass if you ever tried to travel into state in the last 12 months. But that's not what the Lord was talking about. Peter's not the doorman when we get to heaven. I'll tell you now, there isn't a door there. The door's here. We get in here, and when we get there, we're already in heaven. Amen. We don't wait on the footpath waiting to be let in. The door is down here. The truth is that on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to that crowd the gospel message, and they asked him, what must we do? He said, here are the keys. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he said unto them, you must repent. You must be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They are the keys that get you through that door. Amen. I like to think, and again, this is, you know, preachers get a bit creative. I like to think that in that crowd, Peter looked across at Nicodemus and said, water and spirit, bro, water and spirit just like he said back in John 3, water and spirit. Hallelujah. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. We preached a couple of weeks ago about baptism and wonderfully three young ladies were baptized in Jesus name. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus name, there is no reason to put that off. You need to be born again of the water. But this morning we're preaching about have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture here. It says, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. They watched him pray. They said, we want to pray. We need to know how to pray. And he said unto them, He said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, or holy, and powerful, and precious, and glorious be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We normally read this passage from Matthew's gospel, which is why I'm having trouble not reading it the way Matthew wrote it, because it's worded a little bit differently in Luke's account. But Luke recalls some slightly different things from what Matthew recalled, and that doesn't mean that one's one's right and one's wrong. It means that the Lord used them to recall different components of the message that he wanted them to share. Because Luke goes on, or Jesus goes on rather in Luke's gospel in verse 5, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, or give me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come unto me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. Which is King James for, get lost. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give thee. And the Lord said, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil or being sinful, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Jesus is asked to teach them to pray. And we've already touched on how that's recorded in Matthew. And as a part of that instruction on prayer in Luke's gospel, Jesus gives us this example of a friend who comes to your house at midnight looking for bread for a guest that the guest has possibly come at the last minute, unexpected, or the friend just wasn't very prepared. And he says that the fact that he is your friend is not a good enough reason to get out of bread, get out of bed and give him the bread but he says because of his importunity that's not a word you probably use at breakfast every day but that word only occurs this one time in the scripture both in english and also in the original greek word that it's translated from the idea is that it takes when that importunity takes place between people it speaks of a persistence of a continuing to knock of a refusing to go away until you irritate that person enough to get out of bed, give you the bread so they can go back to sleep and not be bothered any further. Now, we have to be careful we don't misunderstand the principle because the principle here is not that we need to irritate God until finally he says, all right, go away, have it, leave me alone, don't bother me anymore. I'm glad he's not like that. But the Lord is using the example of what happens between friends. But you see, importunity, when you look at the word and break down some of its roots and its meanings, importunity includes in its meaning a shameless audacity or rather a willingness to take risk regardless of how you look to others, regardless of how you appear and your reputation appears to others. You see, the friend at midnight didn't care that they looked bad. They knew that coming at midnight to ask a favor was not polite. It wasn't socially acceptable. It was, it was, we would say, it's rude, it's ill-mannered. But they wanted the bread enough that they did not care about how they looked or whether they upset somebody. They said, I've got to have the bread. Amen. And so many times in Scripture, people received something from Jesus when they stopped caring about how they looked in the sight of other people. We could talk about the woman with the issue of blood who'd spent everything she had on doctors and all kinds of treatments and nothing seemed to work, who was willing in a crowd to get down on her hands and knees, press through and just touch the hem of his garment and instantly received her miracle. She reached a point where she did not care what they said. She reached a point where she did not care if they kicked her while she was pushing through the crowd. She had to have her miracle. The woman with the alabaster box broke all kinds of cultural norms. She was a woman of poor reputation. She came into a high society home uninvited and knew that every eye in the place was upon her and only one of them was with mercy. The rest of the house was judgment, condemnation and ridicule. But such was her desire to touch Jesus and to worship Him. She felt, I promise you, she felt their looks. She knew what they were thinking, but it didn't matter. Her importunity, her shameless audacity, she had to touch Him. Blind Bartimaeus, when they tried to silence Him, the Bible says he cried out all the more, Jesus, our son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called Him. He cast away His beggar's garment And the Lord opened the blind eyes because he would not be silenced. I believe it's also in the Gospel of Luke where we read the story of the man with palsy who was lowered by four of his friends down through the roof right at the feet of Jesus in front of all the who's who of the whole region. And you've heard me say it many times, but the Scripture clearly says it lists all these people, doctors of the law, Pharisees, all the important people were there. And the Scripture says the power of God was present to heal them. But one man with palsy, with paralysis unable to walk under his own strength, unable to control himself, probably disheveled, probably hadn't bathed recently, probably was drooling down the side of his face because of the loss of his control of his muscles and his function. He was lowered by his friends. If you had friends that just about had to drag you to church, you got good friends. Amen. If he, They lowered him down into the presence of Jesus and everything stopped. Everything stopped. And the Lord's attention was turned to that man. And he said, Take up your bed and walk. Because they reached a point where it didn't matter how they looked. Hallelujah. It's not easy for us to reach that point. We're very self conscious. When we worship God, we start to think about what other people may think of us. We start to think about, you know, well, I don't want to be too loud or I don't want to be too expressive. He is worthy. And you may just be missing out on the miracle from Him because we're too worried about what other people think. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open. We don't irritate God. God wants to bless you. God wants to save you. He wants to fill you with the Spirit. He wants to do things in your life beyond your imagination. But... Do you have any importunity today? Amen. It's Father's Day today. We've mentioned that. We honor our fathers. But Jesus said that even if we, as evil or sinful fathers, give our children good gifts, that we provide for them, he said, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Even the very best father in the world, you may think that's you this morning, ask your family. They'll let you know. Even the very best father in the world that does all the right things, ticks all the right boxes, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The best father, the perfect father. You know, my good friend, Brother Tom Trimble, he wrote a book on, little booklet on seven steps to being a great dad. And we have this little joke Cassandra and I have through the years where she lets me know which steps I'm dropping the ball on. She says, Dad, that's step number four. I like, Thanks, Cass, for the reminder. But you know, even the very best dads that ever walked the earth, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? If you've got an idea in your brain that He doesn't want to give it to you, that is a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him in john chapter 7 and verse 37 in that last day the great day of the feast when they would spent about a week eating and drinking they were full they weren't eating because they were hungry they're just eating because they're having a good time which a lot of us do jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water but this spake he of the spirit you know luke was writing this looking back but this spake he of the spirit which they that believed on him should receive for the holy ghost was not yet given because that jesus was not yet glorified he'd not finished connecting the lanes on the freeway there was still the work that was being done you know i have seen people many times receive the holy ghost with almost no knowledge of what it is, I've seen people respond to the gospel, the preached word of God, come to an altar or a prayer meeting or some place where they've cried out to God in repentance, not even realizing that that's what they're doing. The Spirit of God puts a hook in people's hearts and they just begin to say God. They respond to the Spirit of God moving on them. And they haven't had a Bible study. They're not a Bible school graduate. They can't lay it out for you with chapter and verse. But what happens is, is they begin to cry out to God in repentance. Again, not even understanding what that really means. There is a thirst in their souls that is awakened, that they didn't even know was there. And because of that thirst and that response to God, God pours His Spirit out upon them, fills them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they don't even realize what's going on. But there is such a thirst that God honors His Word. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. That's all that it takes is a thirst, is a desire. Amen. You may not be conscious of a thirst for God, but it's there. It's there. It's in every one of us. It's why the world is running here and there, trying this and trying that, changing all the rules, moving all the boundaries, compromising all the principles, because they're looking for something to satisfy thirst something inside of them that they they just can't find satisfaction. They can't find something that fills that hole because as we use that example so often, inside each and every person that's created is a God-sized hole that only He can fill. He made you with a void on purpose. He made you with a space within you that is custom designed to be filled with the Spirit of God and nothing else will satisfy it the preached word of god as paul said the preached word of god can awaken a thirst in our souls that only jesus can satisfy it's all right we've got an escapee that's okay amen romans chapter 10 and verse 17 we quote this verse but we need to really think about what it's saying to us so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, you need to understand how important it is that we hear the Word of God, that when the Word of God is preached, that we respond to the Word of God. I, I could get off track and i 'd love to this morning, but for the sake of time the the scriptures are all given to us by God, they are inspired by God they are if we believe in the infallibility of the Word of God, that it is the divinely inspired Word of God, and each The way it's all put together all serves purpose. Genesis laid a foundation of beginnings. It's not just about creation, but so many principles are found in the book of Genesis that flow right through the entire word of God. There's books of the law which talk to us about things, at least for us in the New Testament, principles of things that are relevant to God's moral nature and things that don't please God. There's history that we can learn from. There's wisdom. And we hit the New Testament. We've got the four Gospels that record Jesus' life, His death and His resurrection. And we hit the book of Acts, which which is not more important than any other passage in the Word of God, but it serves a purpose. It is the birth suite if I can put it that way, of the New Testament church. It is where the church comes from just being an idea to actually coming into existence where men, women, and young people are born again of water and spirit for the first time in history. It is that book that is the pivot. It connects the Gospels with the Epistles. And we know the Epistles are letters written to the church helping us to live the way that God wants us to live. But without the book of Acts... The epistles are a waste of time because it's in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts experience for us that we go from being born of the flesh to being also born of the spirit. It's there that spiritual life is found. It's there that sins are washed away in Jesus' name, that hungry souls, both Jew, Samaritan and Gentile, are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's so important that when we consider and study salvation that we look at the book of Acts and we see the significance. Don't ever underestimate the power of the preaching of the gospel because what what really hit me during the week, and you may have seen this before, it's not a great revelation, but we, we, in every part of the book of Acts where you see people being born again, where you see people receiving the Holy Ghost, it is always directly connected to the preached Word of God. Acts chapter 2 says, and when they heard this, Peter preached them, when they heard this, something happened, faith began to stir. Coupled with faith was conviction because there was a need for repentance. But when they heard this, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip's in Samaria, it says that the people with one accord gave heed to the things that Philip spake. They listened to him preach. At the end of chapter 8, when Philip's with Ethiopian eunuch, he began at the same place and preached unto him Jesus. It's always about Jesus. In Acts chapter ten, when Peter's with Cornelius and his household, it says that while Peter yet spake these words, you read the chapter, it tells us he was talking about this is Jesus. He's the one that died, he rose again, and while he's preaching, faith is stirring. Cornelius' household. They didn't really they they knew that Peter was going to tell them something. They had no idea what it was going to be, but thirst begin to awaken thirst begin to rise and such was their desire. God could look into that centurion's heart. He didn't know a whole lot of Bible, but there was a thirst in him and he had faith. And God says, hang on, Peter, I'm filling some people with the Holy Ghost right now. We're not getting to the end of your message. We're not calling the musicians right now. There is faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) When all that calmed down, Cornelius couldn't really tell you what was going on he couldn't say well you know I've been praying for the Holy Ghost for six months I know what this is all about I've done the Bible he didn't really understand what was happening but faith and thirst together with the preached word of God got God's attention Acts chapter 19 when Paul comes to Ephesus which is where our title of our message is from this morning And he he says, you know, he says to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We haven't heard whether there be such a thing as the Holy Ghost. How were you baptized? Under John's baptism. And then Paul says, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying what? That they should believe on him. They should come after even on Jesus. Jesus was preached in every situation where people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't get hung up on the Spirit of God. Just get hung up on Jesus. He's all we need we focus on him, he'll fill us with the Holy Ghost. The preached word of God in each one of those examples triggered a thirst in their souls. And in every place they preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Acts 2, Peter told them this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. Acts chapter 10, you read Peter's message. It's all there. It's about the death of, burial and resurrection of jesus christ it stirred something in the souls of humanity and in the book of acts in three of these examples it clearly records that they spoke in tongues as they received the holy ghost the others are recorded as having great joy and there being a demonstration of power and i don't think it's getting out of the book to suggest they spoke in tongues as well amen we have three clear examples and according to the word of god that's all we need Amen. I want to tell you this morning, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you don't need a 10-week Bible study. There's nothing wrong with a 10-week Bible study. If you want to do one, we'd love to do one with you. There are two things you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need, first of all, a genuine repentance. Now, a genuine repentance includes a sincere, acknowledging, and a regret for sin we need to recognize that we are sinners we need to be sorry for our sin in a genuine sense and then that flows into a turning away from that sin it's no good to be sorry for it and keep doing it that's not repentance that's just feeling sorry for yourself but a genuine repentance includes an acknowledging and a regret and an active turning away i'm not talking about overnight perfection nobody does that nobody is perfect We're complete in Him, but we're all still a work in progress. But with that turning away from sin and that walking towards God, it also includes a complete surrender to God in the present. And here is where some people get hung up. We need to surrender to yield ourselves to God. Because if you acknowledge past sin, but do not surrender yourself to God in the present, you create a stalemate you create a traffic jam where you're trying to walk away from the past, but you're still trying to control the now. And God is not able to do what God wants to do. You don't want to go back, but as long as you're not surrendered, you'll struggle to go forward. Repentance in its fullness includes a surrendering, a not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Bless the Lord. You need a genuine repentance. And you need faith, which you've got to have for repentance as well. But these are the two components you need to receive the Holy Ghost. You need faith in the Word of God. You need faith in the promises of God. You need to believe that what God says is right. That when God says this promise is for you, that is the truth, not all the other thoughts that come into our minds. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you're going to receive from God, it's going to come through the Word of God. Amen. His promises come to us through the book. God was manifest in the flesh. The Word was made flesh. We don't walk with Him in His physical body, but we have this Word, which the Bible tells us was given to us as the Spirit of God moved on holy men. And they wrote the Word of God. It is this Word that we must put our confidence and our trust in. If we are going to receive from God, you cannot be double-minded. You cannot, be double, you cannot be thinking, I need the Holy Ghost. I don't need the Holy Ghost. They tell me I need it, but I don't really want it. I need it, but I don't believe I'm going to get it. If you are double-minded, you hinder the flow of the Spirit of God. You must be persuaded that if God said it, it is true. That thirst in our souls has got to sweep aside doubt. It's got to sweep aside other opinions, and it's got to say, God, you said it. And there's got to be a bit of shameless audacity or importunity in us that says, Lord, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. And I'm going to keep knocking until the door opens, until I get the bread, until I get the promise. I'm going to keep, no, I'm not annoying God. I don't care how silly I look. I don't care if people think I'm nuts. I'm going to knock. I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek. it is not God's intent. Listen to me carefully now. I don't want to be misunderstood. It is not God's intent for us to take a long time to get the Holy Ghost. It happens sometimes, but the issue is with us, not with God. Don't, again, I'm not saying that to be unkind to anybody, but if you are struggling to be filled with the Holy Ghost, it will come from these two areas, faith and repentance. It will be connected to either a genuine surrender and repentance to God or being persuaded that He that promised is faithful. They are the two areas. Amen. They are the the things that receiving the Holy Ghost hangs upon. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. I'll say that again. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. The devil wants you to believe it is, but it is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. If they can get it up there, at five, six, seven, or eight years of old, then it is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. They're not Bible scholars. They're little children who believe that God wants to fill them with the Holy Ghost. They are little children who have simple faith. Simple doesn't mean of low value. It means it's uncomplicated. They're not hung up in their own fears and their own issues and their own doubts and disbelief. They just believe. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to keep saying that because I'm feeling some resistance. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. In the book of Acts, you know the only place they waited in the book of Acts? is chapter 2. The reason is it had to come to 50 days. It fulfilled the prophetic calendar of God. That is the only place where they tarried. In the other places they got it, when they prayed for it. Do not misinterpret what I'm saying to be discouraging. I'm trying to challenge our doubts. I'm trying to challenge our fears. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep believing. He is faithful. The promise is still unto you. It's still unto your children. It's still unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. devil tells the devil's got every lie that was ever created He'll tell you it's for other people it's not for you god doesn't love you you're not good enough you're never going to get it why do you keep praying on and on and on and on get those lies and sweep them off the table it is not hard to receive the holy ghost the ethiopian eunuch said to philip what hinders me what's stopping me from getting baptized what did philip say well there are four forms you have to fill out. There's a four-year theological degree that you need to complete. Then you'll be interviewed by a panel. And your, your application will be considered. No, he just said, if you believe with all of your heart. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Jesus. You know what else is interesting? about those people that were filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. It often says when they spoke with other tongues, it says they magnified God. They magnified God. They spoke in tongues and magnified God. In Acts chapter 2, they said, are these guys drunk? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're hearing them in our own language saying what? The wonderful works of God. They magnified God. When you worship Him, you connect From that which is born of the flesh to that which is born of the Spirit. You go from one side of the freeway to the other because worship is an avenue that connects us from the natural to the supernatural. It is a pathway that gets God's attention. That's why when we pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost, we encourage them to worship Him. Don't beg Him for the Spirit. Don't say, please, 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 please. Worship Him and believe in Him. And let him fill you with the Holy Ghost. I would, if you would stand with me this morning, if I could have a musician, please. Hallelujah. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There is testimony after testimony in this place of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Different ages, different cultures different genders, different backgrounds, different stories. Everybody's story is unique, but everybody's experience is the same. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake with other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them to. It is not hard to receive the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Some of us were kids. Some of us were adults. Some of us got it and we didn't have a clue what was going on. Some of us, it took a while, and then we realized looking back, it was us that God was changing. There's no reluctance on his part. He's not short of stock. He's not saying, can you come back later? We're expecting an order to come in. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I want you to bear your heads with me this morning. Close your eyes if you would so there's no distractions. I feel the presence and the anointing of the Spirit of God here today. I want us as a congregation, we're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance together. We're going to lift our voices together. If you're thirsty this morning, the living water is here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's pray, church. Let's present ourselves to Him. Lord, in the name of Jesus.